Welcome in a Friday Locked On Syracuse podcast, and the season is over, but really ended on a high note with that Duke game yesterday. Exciting stuff, down to the wire. Jimmy Beheim, huge game without Buddy Beheim in the lineup. Syracuse puts together an incredible effort. It's the first losing season under Jim Beheim, but there is a lot to digest after this game. It felt like sort of a preview for next season a little bit at times as well. So we're going to dive into everything from this epic Duke game on the Locked On Syracuse podcast. You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in. Thank you guys for making us your first listen all throughout the season. If you have been one of the loyal listeners, we're here with you every single day, and it doesn't stop now. We're Keeping you up to date on all the recruiting news, starting to look ahead to next year. There's going to be tons of recruiting news probably coming out Syracuse basketball-wise over the course of the next couple of weeks or so. So subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Also check us out on YouTube if you haven't done that already. We'll continue to do some live shows here and there when we can. Have some good interviews coming up throughout the offseason as well. And football is also heating up too. The spring game is coming as well. But... Got to talk about the end of the basketball season, which it feels like. I know there's a chance maybe yeah. there's another game, but I think we can call it. It seems like this is it. And the meaningful games are done. Anything that you were looking forward to, like if Syracuse <laughs> gets in the NIT, doesn't really get the juices going, I think, for either of us or for any of the fans either. Yeah, and seeing the whole post-game afterwards, Jimmy, Buddy, next yeah. to Coach Beheim, which we can talk about. Felt like a bow. Point. Yeah, it felt like the end of an era there. And I know it's been a controversial and sometimes criticized era, but the Bayheim era is probably what will be remembered as, the era where the kids were involved and it's put a bow on this. And it was a somewhat fitting way, I guess, to end that era. It was a very poetic way with Jimmy having a huge game, Buddy out, no one would have guessed that. But I think we have to start with the game that Jimmy had because – he played outstanding given the pressure that was on him in this game. And there's a lot to talk about from this game. We'll get into the defense. We'll get into Simir Torrance, Joe Girard's play as well, but it would be a shame not to start with anything but Jimmy because he stole the show in this game. Anytime he hit a three, it felt like it was a big shot and it wasn't like, Oh, there's an empty three here an empty three. No, every single one of his six threes felt like a big shot. And you could tell this was a guy who was playing for his brother. He was trying to get his little brother another game. And that's that's the really cool part of sports there is like you've got a guy going out there and doing everything just so that the family can live to see another day, it felt like. And yeah. even though it didn't go his way, like just to see the the heartbreak on his face when, when the final buzzer sounds and to see how fired up Buddy was after every single three that that jimmy hit it was like it felt like there was some sort of transfer of power almost with the with the the <laughs> right. buddy Beheim shot a bit career making ability just being transfused into into jimmy Beheim. and it's not like jimmy hasn't hit threes this season he has obviously but this felt like another level this felt like there was a little something extra in, in some of that shot making yeah made his six of his first seven threes and some of them were tough shots and on paul oh, yeah. Bancaro, who I don't know if this helped his NBA draft stock this game when Jimmy Beheim's <laughs> crossing him up and hitting threes in his face. And it seemed like Mancaro was guarding him for a good chunk of the game. There was one three that he hit, I think it was 55 to 49 after he made the three 
sort of midway through the second half. And it was like a good four or five feet beyond the line. Van Carroll right yeah. there. And he pulled up kind of a heat check type shot and everything was falling in this game. So amazing stuff. I think really it's about as proud as I've felt watching Syracuse in a loss ever. And I don't know yeah. if this mm-hmm. could be topped for as good as, I mean, sure. Like you want them to win the game and it's a bummer mm-hmm. that, the season's over and it was a heartbreaking end in some respects, but also even in the moment you sat there and just thought like, wow, that was fun today. I'm really proud that they went out that way. And yeah, no one saw it coming. They rallied together. Nobody, no Jesse, no Benny. Samir's playing 40 minutes for like the first time in his college career. He has 11 assists. It's just, it was a fitting way to end the season it's been a terrible, frustrating season at times, but it felt like this was kind of a capper on a good note, at least. This was the best effort of the season, which is always good to see in a game where you had every single built-in excuse for you. Oh, we didn't have Buddy. He was wrongly suspended, if that's the way that you felt. Oh, uh, we've got all these other injuries that we've been dealing with. Oh, we're clearly the under-talented team in this matchup, but they didn't point to any of that and say, woe is me, they went out there and they played their asses off for all 40 minutes. I mean, yeah. this was this was true David and Goliath. And you heard Jay Billis, and he said something that I thought was fascinating throughout, but it's tough to beat believers. And this group was a believing bunch throughout the entirety of that 40 minutes, even though they had very little to sort of stand on from a belief standpoint there. They, they could have rolled over. This could have been a really ugly game. And at times in the beginning of the game, it looked like it might be a really ugly game. But they found some inner gear that allowed them to go out there and put together this performance. And, yeah, the final score is going to say nine points. We, we've talked it about this in the past. Yeah. This wasn't a nine-point game. Kind of like how earlier in the season they've had 20-point losses against Duke. That felt like 30-point losses. This was a nine-point loss that was a one-possession loss. And, yes, in the end, at the end of the day, talent won out here, right? Like it's just going to happen sometimes when you play a forty-minute game, when you draw things out. We talked about this with football at the time. You don't want to see that team go to overtime because when things get drawn out, the better team usually wins, and that's kind of the case that happened here. But for this team to hang around as long as it did and just punch after punch, there were times where it looked like they were dead to rights, and it was like, oh, here's the Duke run that's going to pretty much put a, a cap on this cute little team for today, but they would punch back and yeah. that was the the most encouraging thing to see out of this and what is likely the the season finale yeah it seemed like once Cole Swider picked up his fourth foul at the 15 minute mark Duke scored I think an 8-0 run in the two minutes that John Bull was out there and that felt like okay this is probably where they go go ahead for good but Syracuse did fight back they made some big threes down the stretch I really feel like the effort it's just been great all season, I think, from this team. And I think even in some bad years recently for Syracuse, you just never can question the effort that this team puts out or this program puts out under Jim Beheim. which I get that it has been frustrating to watch them. And we've been two people that have definitely been uh, leading the, the call for how frustrating it has been at times to watch Syracuse play. But this year... They played 100% effort every game. They just didn't win some close games. And 
I don't know. I mean, I had some people texting me that don't even watch Syracuse basketball and they're interested because it's Duke and they're rooting for Syracuse because it's coach K's final year and everyone's sick of it and all that. And they're just like, man, Syracuse is going to lose, but that team plays with heart. And I know that if you watch this one game, you definitely have that take, but I just feel like all Mm -hmm. season long, even through the ups and downs of the past three or four years, there's other programs that, when a season goes sour, they jump ship or guys start, you know, not playing with a lot of passion. You know, Louisville, I would say, has been an example of that this year. NC State, maybe. I'm not saying that that's a terrible thing that Louisville's doing or NC State's doing, but I think it's pretty awesome that Syracuse, you can always pride. As a fan, you can always be prideful of the fact that they put with a lot of effort. Even though it's a severely talent deprived team I think we we can agree on that there was always purpose with this team when you look at the the father-son dynamic the brother dynamic the we all played AAU ball together dynamic like these guys play for each other and that that was one of the encouraging things to see out of them in this finale here with Jimmy Bayheim, with Joe Girard with Cole I mean Samir Torrance was fantastic in this game I mean big rebounds Big assists. He, he sets yeah. a new career high. In back-to-back games, he's setting career highs. He's got 20 assists over his last two games. I mean, just think about that. For a guy who didn't seem like we'd get a, a lot of juice out of in the beginning stages of this season, and then all of a sudden, you feel pretty strong about where you're at from a point guard standpoint heading into next season if he can channel this into next year you're almost having a similar situation with Samir that you had with Buddy at the end of last year where and and we'll get to Samir a little bit more but it was like wow he really showed me something at the end of the year that makes me really encouraged for next year and that's how I feel about Samir he really showed me something at the end of this season that makes me feel really good about the point guard position for next year yeah, let's talk about Samir in just a little bit. Also, just the Gerard off the ball, the whole backcourt dynamic that mm-hmm. they had working today. We'll discuss the defensive wrinkles that Jim Beheim went to as well. But it is that time of the year that pretty much everyone has given up on all of their New Year's resolutions. Not me this year, though. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. And you have to try the Built Bar Puffs. If you haven't yet, you're missing out on one of the best-tasting Built Bars on the market. The Puffs are the first-ever protein-infused marshmallowy goodness. They're fluffy. They're not just a protein bar. They're a treat, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Go to Built.com. Scroll down the macros chart. You'll be blown away. It's high-protein, low-calorie, high-fiber, low-carbs. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories and 17 grams of protein compare that to a candy bar which usually has around 240 calories 30 grams of sugar and dozens of net carbs just four net carbs four grams of sugar and most built bars they somehow taste like a candy bar still but they are good for you so make sure you go to built.com today use our promo code locked on or locked one five to get 15 percent off at built.com gotta go today because these have been one of our favorite bars on the market for a while Again, that promo code is LOCKED15 at Built.com. Also, thanks again for making Locked On Syracuse your first listen every day. Make sure to check out the Locked On Bracket Breakdown, dropping March 14th right here on the Locked On Syracuse podcast feed and YouTube channel. 
College basketball experts Chris Gordy, Andy Patton, and betting expert Lee Sterling give you the in-depth breakdowns on every matchup as we find out the bracket this Sunday. No Syracuse in the bracket, of course, but keeping with this game, Symir Torrance, who had 11 assists, two turnovers, plays all 40 minutes. Just unbelievable how good he is at passing the ball. And I know now the storyline might become, well, why didn't he play more this season? It feels like this has been something that he's really progressively gotten better and he's trending in the right direction at the end of the season. It's amazing to me that if you would have gone back in time and told myself in December, hey, Simon Torrance is going to be the starting point guard next year and you're going to be excited about that, I would not have believed you. And I'm not trying to knock Simir in that regard. I just didn't think he had that high of a ceiling. I didn't think as a score he was ever going to be good enough to the point that I'd be excited about him being the starter. And there were several times this season I said that exact phrase of, I like Simir, but do we really want him to be our starter next year? And I'm willing to walk all that back after this game because he doesn't have to score when Joe Girard's off the ball and they will have other options next year scoring. It's just good to see that he's doing the little things that we've lacked to the point guard spot for a couple years now. It's encouraging because of how much not only he has improved because I think from point A of the season to where we are now at the end of the season, point Z, I don't think anyone took bigger strides. I think some people will say, oh, Jesse, but Jesse like took an immediate stride, but then kind of plateaued. Now, don't get me wrong, like I, plateaued isn't a, a sort of a, a negative thing with him because he he peaked so high, but he right. just kind of held steady. Whereas Samir, you saw progression in his game where he couldn't make anything at the rim in, in the early stages of the, of the season to save his life. Now, that's one of his fortes, I would say, towards the end of the season. He got <laughs> yeah. really good at finishing around the rim and also his ability to facilitate and make other people better out there on the floor. That's such a critical thing with him. And when you play that point guard position and nobody has been a bigger beneficiary of that than Joe Girard. He has made Joe Girard look like a all ACC level two guard when they are out there on the floor together at times because he gives them good looks and he creates that second option. And he also just takes a lot of stress off of Joe. I think it makes sure that Joe doesn't have to think as much because when you're that point guard, there's a lot of thinking that you sometimes have to do and a lot of stress that you have to handle as well. And he takes all that burden off of Joe's shoulders, which is so important and just kind of lets Joe be Joe. It lets him be yeah. Glens Falls Joe. And, exactly. and that's the, that's the Joe that, yeah. that people were promised when he came that he's going to be a guy who can light the scoreboard up for 20, 25, 30 points in a game. And I think you're going to see if Samir is the one and you're going to see a lot more Joe at the two next year, I think that's going to be a really good thing. And it's going to be a chance for Joe Girard to sort of rewrite his legacy as a member of Syracuse basketball. Because right now, if you were to write the final chapter of Joe Girard, I don't think it's a very endearing one. But if he's a two guard next year, it could change. Uh, Yeah, I do find it funny that everyone is now so quick to jump Oh my God, it's unbelievable. Right. It is truly unbelievable. Like the Sienna Joe crowd is all of a sudden like, man, I mean, Joe and Saimir as the backcourt next year, sign me up. That's going to be unreal. We we might be a top 20 team. Top. It's it's the same thing every year. I don't think Saimir and Joe is like the best backcourt in the ACC, or I don't know if this one game changed my opinion to that level or as drastically as some other people. I think it's kind of like when Frank had that big first game, you, 
your only thing you can do after that is overreact. But Samir, if he has one out of four games that are 10, 11 assists, if Joe's playing like this or a little bit less than this consistently, then you're excited about next year a little bit more. And I still think at the end of the day, we're probably looking at another mediocre ACC team, another likely bubble team next year, barring something that is sort of different in the transfer portal. But this was a preview of next year, and they mm-hmm. hung with Duke pretty much. I mean, they, they won't have Jimmy, and they may or may not have Cole Swider, but they also will probably have a healthy Jesse Edwards, and they'll probably have a healthy Benny Williams, who should take a step as well, and some good freshmen coming in. So I'm a little bit more excited about next year after watching this game. No, you're 100% right. I saw you tweet it out earlier. Like, this could be a preview for what next year looks like. And I was like... Oh boy, A, you're right, and B, this is probably going to be a train wreck, and I think people are not going to go out of this game thinking, huh, I'm feeling pretty good about next year. But that's could not be further from the case right now. I mean, yeah. I feel, listen, I, do I think this is a top 25 team next year? No, I still need to see some things. But could they be a top 25 team if some things break their way? Yeah, if Benny takes a step, yeah. If you get the right transfer into this system, yeah. Maybe if Cole comes back and can be the Cole that we think he can be, that he sort of was towards the end of the season, those are building blocks towards a top 25 caliber roster. You're going to have a lot more pieces on this team too in the backcourt as well. So, and th- we see how how much that paid a dividend, um, or at least how important that is, because this team had no guard depth in this game. You literally had two guards on the roster in this game. And if you went beyond that, you were digging into the walk-on pool. So you're going to have guard depth next year. You're going to have front court depth. You're you're not going to have to play these worrisome games with guys with four fouls next year. That's one of the positives I think you you can take away too. Um, But yeah, no, this game certainly makes you feel a lot more optimistic. And and with Samir, I feel very similarly. And again, it's it's different facets of the game per se. But I feel similarly to how I do, did last year with Buddy Beheim, where it's like, I can't wait to see him try to carry this over next year because it's You're a right. challenge I think he can take on. Yeah, well, I think what's interesting is I've said so many times throughout the year that part of the reason why I'm cautious about next year is has Joe already hit his ceiling? Has Saimir already hit his ceiling? Are you just not really going to get much better from those two players? But what we saw today is... Joe's playing more of his natural position. Samir doesn't have to be the scorer when Joe can be off the ball and be the scorer. And it's like, oh yeah, like when you have a guy that's next to Joe that maybe is a little bit better defensively and is a pass first point guard, then you're just better rounded. And it kind of goes back to the whole theme of the season, which to me, are they not that talented maybe compared to other Syracuse teams, but also they just never worked well as a team. Right. They never had just five individual all those diverse guys. parts that you need. And today we saw a team out there, with, or at least in the backcourt, we see one guy doing three or four roles that the other guy couldn't, and that other guy is better because he doesn't have to do some of those other roles as much. And it just was more of a cohesive backcourt unit back there. I don't think Samir's better than Buddy. I don't think... Jim Beheim should have played Buddy less this year, but Samir's really come on at the end of the year. And it's exciting that maybe, yeah, they individually have hit their ceiling, but could we just see a better overall product next year because we have a true point guard and a more of a cohesive unit there? 
Right. You hit it on the head there. It's This was a team that you saw. It was complementary basketball. It was a right. guy who That's could a facilitate. It, a yeah. guy who, who could get himself open, who's great on the catch and shoot. And, and when he's got a, a lick of airspace, he's going to make you pay or he's going to get to the free throw line, which we saw him do so many times in this game off of the three-pointer as well. So, yeah, this was complementary basketball. And it's something that was really not a part of this team's DNA throughout the course of the season. So that's that's certainly something that gives you a little bit of promise. And hopefully you can find that next step of complementary basketball. How does Benny Williams fit into that equation? How do some of the new players fit in? How does maybe a transfer fit in? How does the return of Jesse and maybe a, a, a deeper chemistry between Jesse and Symir too? Because that's that's a combo we didn't see a whole heck of a lot of this year because it felt like whenever Samir was in, it was Frank in alongside yeah. him in those right. games. So how does that gonna, how is that relationship going to develop? It, it's certainly something that I came out of this game and I came out of this ACC tournament optimistic for next year. And I don't think that's how I went in thinking yeah, I would feel me. at the right. end of it. All right, well, we'll dive into the defense because an interesting wrinkle there. Could that be something that they'll do a little bit more in the future? What type of defense exactly were they playing in this game against Duke for portions of it? We'll discuss that. Also want to talk about Buddy's comments post-game after he had some great things to say, I thought, after the game. So we'll dive into all of that. But it is that time of year again as college basketball's tournaments are finally upon us, if you're like me and Tyler, you're probably watching all these games. You're maybe betting on some of them. And when you are betting, you have to do it at betonline.net. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, betonline.net is the number one source for all of your sports betting needs and info. It remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sporting wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action bet online where the game starts. So thoughts on this defense, which comes out of the gate and everyone's overreacting and thinking it was man-to-man. I think it definitely had some man-to-man principles in it, but it seems like Jim yeah. Beheim's calling it a, a triangle in two and he said it was the first time they've used it since 1987 post game it seemed like the at first i thought it was more of a box in one and they were just focusing mm-hmm. on uh griffin and samir was not going to leave him but i guess they were really keen in on williams and griffin and it feels like the game right. plan was pretty much all right duke has beaten us from the three and they've beaten us inside Let's try to at least take away one of those things. And they were pretty much in the first half just saying, here, Duke, shoot threes. They were baiting them into shooting threes. And that's what they did. And it worked out in the first half and throughout the game, mostly. Right. And Duke started four of six from three. But here's the big number that I remember from that first half is that Mark Williams had zero points in that first half. He had 11 in the first half in the last meeting against Syracuse. So they really neutralized him at least from a scoring standpoint. And I think that's an important thing. That's something that helped really propel this team and keep them in the game and at least keep the spirits high because that's something when you've got a guy like Mark Williams, I mean, talk about someone who's just a scouting report wrecker. That that to me is what I see when I, I watch Mark Williams. So that that was a huge part of that first half charge that this team made. Um, but in terms of the 
the, what the the overall look of the team and the and the defense was. There was a, a stage. I want to say it was early second half where there was certainly man. It was certainly man to man, and I don't think you yeah, could dispute. Yeah, so it, it. You couldn't dispute it any other way, and that's sort of we've talked about this. Like, if you're Jim Beheim, this defense is bad. This defense is bad right now. So what do you do? Like, just empty the drafts. Like, go out and just put whatever you've got in the napkin right now in the, your little rolodex of defensive um, plays or, or schemes. Just try it. Try it at this point. Right. And we saw probably three or four or five different defenses in this game. And that's part of why, like, someone's going to throw back in our face saying, you guys wanted this guy fired weeks ago, months ago, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, we wanted him fired because of the stubbornness. What we saw at the end of the season was a lack of stubbornness, and that's part of why this team had some of the success that it had. Like this game, willing to be able to try a bunch of different things and seeing what works. This game, you see Samir Torrance and Frank Anselm have good games, and those are guys that we were calling, like, maybe you should get them out there a little bit more and, right. and get them a little bit more run. And it's like the release of a little bit of stubbornness I feel like contributed to why this team had some success at the end of the year, the willingness to try some things. Yeah. Well, one on that, everyone that's saying that probably was thinking the same thing as well. Yeah. Like we all do it. And also I think we've maintained the same take all along that once Bayheim leaves, there is a good chance that we're going to be looking back and saying, man, we had it pretty good with that guy yeah. and it mm -hmm. might actually get worse. We we've, we've been pretty consistent with that. The, the game adjustments that he's made this year or the defensive adjustments, he's been willing to experiment the one, one, three, one, three, one, whatever you want to call it at the start of the season helped us for a little. And I really do think he coached a heck of a game here. Like this was, was, this was a masterclass. Yeah, it was honestly, he probably somewhat relished this role of being undermanned getting his team to compete and, play up to their competition and somehow hang around with a team they had no business doing that against it turned him to the the grand chess master of this yeah. matchup like he felt, was the one know, pulling all the pieces out right it felt to me and this might not connect with everyone because i know there's some bills fans out there but the way that belichick and i'm a patriots fan earlier this year in that first game in the cold against the bills yeah Mm -hmm. was just like, I'm going to run on every... And it was like his Mona Lisa. It was like he secretly yeah. sort of relished that. That's mm -hmm. kind of the same vibe I got from Beheim. how he was like, okay, like, you know, you're starting to figure out this triangle in two. Here's some full court pressure. No, we'll go back to zone. And he just realized that Duke's way better than us, and we don't have Buddy and Jesse. So we've just got to try and throw crap at the wall here. And I'll give him a lot of credit for doing it because... I mean, I, they were up whatever, 30 to 5, it felt like, in the last game against us, and they didn't let that happen. They kind of did at the start, 14 to 6, but then they hung with it, and they got some real momentum in the first half. And there was a seven. Point in the, yeah, like there was a point in the second half, I really thought they might do it. When they came out of the break with as much energy as they did, Cole hit a 3 to start the second half. It was like, crap, this is getting really real here, and if they do this, this is – maybe one of the best wins Jim Beheim has ever had. And I understand that usually when you say comments like that, it's just a gut reaction, it's hyperbolic thing. Prisoner I, of the if, moment. If they would have won that game, that would have been incredible today. It would have. It, it got to the point where, like, even if you were one of the most pessimistic Syracuse fans, you had to have felt at some point they're gonna, they could win this game. 
And right. that's something that you and I definitely didn't think. Just to peel back the curtain from our end here, we couldn't record right away after <laughs> right. this game. The plan was, if Syracuse had won, I was going to go on Twitter spaces and do our first Twitter spaces and, and interact with everybody out there and, and have it as like a quote-unquote call-in show sort of to, to recap a Syracuse win. And it got to a point where I was like, I have no idea how this thing works. I got, I, like, I I'm starting to do my spaces. own research how, how Twitter spaces work. Can I record this? Can I throw it up on my podcast feed after? It got to that point with me where I was Googling how that stuff works because I went in thinking like, all right, if they win, we'll do that. But I don't, I don't think they're going to win, so I don't have to worry about it really. But then I had to exercise my Google a little bit for, for to see right. how Twitter spaces worked. Yeah, all right, well, I, that's funny. Before we get out of here, I want to talk about Buddy's comments post game because I thought it was pretty amazing. It's sort of funny the way that it went down and how Jim Beheim was very clear about we will talk about the game first. And then someone wanted to ask a question of Buddy and he sort of cut him off. But aside from that, Buddy gets the mic and talks for, I don't know, three and a half minutes or something. And God, he hit a home run on his whole speech. Yeah. It was just so well-spoken. Everything made you feel for the guy. And and I think if you're a Syracuse fan, you already know this, but just such a good kid and seemed remorseful for it. I think we were in agreement. He probably should have been suspended. Now, you could also argue if he had gotten the flagrant two in the game, like Jim Beheim saying, maybe he wouldn't have gotten suspended today. And I get that argument, but Buddy just – a great way for him to sort of like not everyone would have handled that situation that way and taken the stage and been that well-spoken. And it's pretty cool that he was able to do that. And I thought hit a home run in that scenario. I mean, he poured his heart out just to see all three yeah. of them up there, all three of the Bayheims. That was a really cool moment. And I'm sure that there's that picture is going to be framed up in the Bayheim household. I'm sure some Syracuse fan is going to pay an insubordinate amount of money for that NFT of the three of them in their press conference. Like that was an awesome moment between all of them to just kind of see them all talk about each other. And it is a program that means obviously so much to the three of them. I mean, yeah. it's for the kid, even for Jim, it's kind of all they've ever known is Syracuse basketball. When you've done it, as long as they've done it, when you've been a part of it, as long as they've been a part of it, and to be a part of it all together, it's a special thing. And to see the emotions kind of be worn on the sleeves of all of them. I mean, it got to the point where Jim Beheim says, "Hey, like, we'll stay here as long as you guys want. Like, right? We do. We, I'm here. I'm here to talk because I think he felt like a really proud father, and he should. Like, you can say what you want. Uh, season was his first ever losing season, but." It, to to pull the the bigger than sports card here like that's what this was and from a personal standpoint this felt like a monster success for him and it should from a personal standpoint like sure would you have liked to have gone out winning more basketball games yeah you would have but just the fact that you can get to that stage and sort of sort of share that podium share these moments with his kids like, I think anyone that's a parent would sympathize with that and say, think of how cool that would be, a big moment like that where kind of all, all eyes are on you and you've built this up to where it is and you've built it to the point where you've got it good enough where you can bring in both of your sons and have moments like these over the course of a 30-something game season. 
Yeah, it's funny because it never really hit me that Buddy could be in the postgame presser until I watched it. And I'm just glad he got that at least because he was stripped of his last sort of moment coming off the floor or his last game, at least when he knew it. And I guess that happens sometimes to players. But at least he sort of got that farewell speech to the fans at the podium saying, how much it means to him to be doing all the little stuff of the program and all that. And to be next to Jimmy doing it was pretty cool, especially after Jimmy had the game that he had, it would have been sort of awkward maybe if buddy made that farewell thing and they had just gotten blasted by 40 and it was like the season ended in a whimper, but at least now there is some optimism. Like we're talking about going into next year and this is the end of an era, but maybe the era it doesn't feel as much of a sour taste in your mouth after watching sort of the effort that they put together today. I think it still feels sour because you would have liked to see Buddy Beheim go out on his own terms. Yeah, that's true. And he, didn't, yeah. he didn't do that. And that to me is going to be, I'm not going to call it a what if. Because I don't think there's any what if to Buddy Beheim playing in this game. I think Syracuse still loses because you insert Buddy Beheim, you're taking away one of the other good performances. Like that's just how the shot distribution works. Right. Uh, the one thing that you can point to is that you've got a little more depth. Maybe the guys aren't as winded down the stretch. That's the one thing I, I'd point to is say that's the what if. But to say that, oh, imagine if we had gotten 20 from Buddy in this game. Well, if you got 20 from Buddy in this game, you're probably taking 10 away from Jimmy. You're probably taking six away from Gerard. You're probably taking three away from Sw- like. I think the distribution evens itself out to Syracuse still scoring about 79 points in this game. Um, Which is funny because we're team buddy is our MVP, but I totally agree with everything you're saying there. And I think Jim Beheim even said that like they kind of rose to the occasion. Maybe that was part of the reason they played better. Yeah. And again, who knows what kind of effort, like how the effort looks different wise or differently. If there isn't some greater purpose, almost like, Go win one for Buddy. Like that was a big thing on social media, and you could tell that was a big thing with this team too, and the way that they rose to the occasion. So yeah, I think Jim Beheim's sort of a hundred percent right in that regard. Um, but getting back to the original point, like it would have been nice to see Buddy go out on his own terms, have that last game, whether it be a win or a loss. It, it feels a little bit empty seeing it coming off of uh, from the sidelines and. I almost think back to to the Frank Howard in the NCAA tournament. Like that to me is a legitimate what if, because Frank Howard and what he meant to that team was he he was a defensive stalwart that hit some big shots, and he was your point guard too. And I I don't think that's the way that Frank Howard should have gone out. You can say what you want about the course of his Syracuse career, but to see Buddy go out this way and kind of be relegated to the sidelines as just a cheerleader it it felt like it felt weird and it it felt wrong again I still think the suspension was the right call you had to suspend him in that moment but it's you you just wish there was some you wish that okay he gets suspended for the ACC tournament game they lose but he still has an NCAA tournament to maybe look forward to and, and something of that sort Yeah, I mean, they were so close to maybe giving him another game. And at that point, you know, you you might actually do it if you're Syracuse. It might actually. At that point, the door is wide ass open for anybody to win. Once Duke's out, any uh, any team remaining has a chance at winning that thing. Yeah. Well, 
I did not expect the ACC tournament to go like this. I It kind of, I guess, was similar to last year. They blew out NC State last year, lost at the buzzer to Virginia as the one seed. But so maybe you could have talked me into like they win the first game convincingly and they lose in a good game against Duke. But the buddy suspension, Cole Swider having another big game, Torrance playing 40 minutes with 11 assists. They were just... I mean, they played somewhat man-to-man defense in the second half of this game. There were just so I mean, many different things. Every single angry Syracuse bingo card got crossed off. Like, every single right. box, it felt like, got checked off during this ACC tournament run. Every yeah, single it one. Was, it was a wild couple of days of content here for us. I think we couldn't even hit on everything because of just how much happened. And we'll have time now next week to sort of flesh out more of our thoughts on next season. Because like I said, I think this was sort of a preview of next season and there's a lot to get to on the recruiting front. There's a lot to get to football wise as spring workouts are in progress, spring game coming up on April 1st. So good time to subscribe to the podcast. If you're a diehard Q's fan, this is really where it gets interesting on the podcast. We can get creative and have some fun discussions in the off season that maybe time permitting we just couldn't get to in the middle of the season and talk some more recruiting stuff which i know we have a lot of fans that are really into that so subscribe if you haven't already and we will talk to you guys on monday